If you want to turn there or click there, if you don't have one, no worries at all. The passages will be up on the screen. Last week, we started a new series called Rally, uh, taking this time to come together, to regroup, to get the family back together again. Uh, that's what this whole month and really season is about, rallying together to recommit to who we are in Jesus, reconnect with one another as the church, and refocus on Jesus's call for us. Uh, and we, we're reminding ourselves of New Life's purpose statement in this series, to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. Uh, this is our church's mission statement. As we think about what God calls believers to be, his, his church family to be, as he, his call for all of us is, how he directs us in his word, we, we, when we think about how do we do this where we're at, what does that look like in our place? We want to be a family of love that cooperates with God and making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. And so last week we focused on the family of love phrase. The church is a group of people passionately devoted to thriving relationships with God and his people, which in turn will impact their community. And so we talked about the church being a group that is devoted and worshipful and generous and intentional and sharing. And when, if you weren't here last week, you know, we looked at Acts 2, and in Acts 2, there were 18 different people groups that are mentioned that come together, that gather together for what happens on that day. Different cultures, different political leaders, different values, gathering as a church. And their differences didn't just dis become disregarded. No, what happened is that Jesus and his kingdom became prioritized. And what's important within that is that what we see happening in Acts, Acts 2 is that it kills the idea of worshiping with people who are exactly like you, who think the way you do, vote the way you do, make as much money as you do, or look just like you. No, what Acts 2, what we looked at last week, what it promotes is that our family priority and focus and identifier and value is Jesus we are a family of love that is all about Jesus. And so this week, we want to follow up on that. We're going to look at, focus on Acts 4 to look at the next idea of our purpose statement, which is cooperating with God. What does it look like to cooperate with God? Now, here's one thing that we need to understand about the book of Acts in the New Testament. It is his, um, historical narrative. It is unpacking a piece of church history. Luke, the guy who was inspired to write this, says to this guy named Theophilus, who he's writing to, that he is writing this gospel account so that Theophilus can be certain about the things he's been taught. Luke says that all the way back at the beginning of his gospel. I'm writing all of this. I've researched all of this. I've brought this orderly account together so that you can have certainty about the, what you've been taught. And so when we come to Acts, which is like the next part of that story, we want to ask ourselves, how do these stories help us have certainty about God? Certainty about Jesus. What do we need to be certain of as far as being his church, about being his family? What patterns do we see from one story to the next which shows us God's character and heart, what he wants for his followers? And so basically, again, using Luke's words, what do these stories tell us that we can be certain of, especially as we are continuing the church and during this time? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Before we jump into it, 
Let's pray together and just ask that God would speak to us through his word. God, we do come before you and we praise you. We are so grateful for the fact, just as Kale said earlier, that you are here and you are always present with us. That isn't based on feeling, God, it's truth. God, I pray that you would help us to have an appreciation and an awareness of the truth that you are here. God, with people who are watching online, you are present with them. And so, God, I pray that that would give us comfort. I pray that that would give us peace. God, I pray that that would help us um, to have a sense of joy, knowing that we're not alone. And God, let it give, let it give us a, an attentiveness that we would hear from you. As we go through your word, as you, God, I pray you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would prompt us. I pray that you would guide us. I pray that you would convict us and encourage us, that you would be the one doing it. And so I pray that you would speak. We thank you for your word and the fact that you want to be known and you want us to experience you. Let us do that now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so really my plan today is just to walk through this story in Acts 4. Uh, we're going to walk through it and make some observations, asking us how they help us know what cooperating with God looks like. And so let's jump in and look at the first paragraph in Acts 4. And as they were, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That reference is actually wrong. It's not X1, it's X4. Sorry about that. It says, as they were speaking. Now, Acts 2 was Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon people, where Peter gave this incredible sermon that impacted thousands. In Acts 3, Peter uh, heals a lame man and then preaches again. The good news about Jesus was going forth. People were coming to know him. It tells us here that there was 5,000 men. That doesn't tell us how many women and children. And that's added to the couple thousand that came during Pentecost. And if, we don't know exactly how many people were in Jerusalem at that time, but it could, scholars and archaeologists would say at the low end, it's probably 25,000 people. At the high end, maybe like 75,000 people. So for 7,000 people to come to Jesus at that time, that is a huge impact on the community. This wasn't just a fad. People would notice. And the religious leaders of the time noticed. And this was going against their systems. It was going against what they taught. And Luke tells us that they were greatly annoyed at Peter and the early leaders. They were annoyed. I kind of like that fact. They were frustrated. One source I looked at said to find this word as they were greatly irked at Peter and the early, early leaders. So much so that they had them arrested and thrown in jail. This first part of the story reminds us of a really sobering truth. Cooperating with God is not an easy endeavor. Cooperating with God is not an easy endeavor. A lot of times, if you've been around the church at all for any period of time, at some point you've maybe heard somebody say, we need to get back to Acts. We need to get back to how Acts was. And I think that typically when people say that, they forget the thrown in jail parts. Because the reality was is that it was not easy. 
It was very, very difficult. In fact, Paul, another guy in the New Testament, Paul, in one of his letters, he, in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists out what he experienced as being part of the early church and sharing the good news about Jesus. He talks about being beaten and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked and robbed, the dangers of cities, the dangers of deserts, the dangers of false teachers, along with just the difficulties that come from hard work, extreme weather, and not having enough. Being faithful to Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus. There is just no beating around the bush in this in Scripture. It is not easy at times. Jesus could not have said it more plain, just making us aware what was going to happen. I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He's just talking about that life in general. But when you get to the specific reality of telling people about Jesus, those trials and sorrows are going to become potentially even more intense. So when we think about putting faith, being faithful to Jesus as a church, as a faith family, we know that our cooperating with God will at times greatly irk people. People may not want to hear about Jesus. People may not want to experience the love of God. They may not want anything to do with us because we want everything to be about Jesus. But we must still be faithful. We must still be obedient even when it's hard. Now, let me clarify me being faithful to Jesus and being rejected because of that, that is to be expected. Me being rude, a jerk, taking my personal agenda and adding some Jesus talk onto it, and then being rejected, that's not persecution. That's me getting what I asked for. Do you understand the difference in those two things? And so we need to be people of love, speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth nonetheless. And when we speak the truth, when we share the good news, at times people are going to reject that. But following Jesus, cooperating with God, is not an easy endeavor. So we have to be honest. I have to be honest. You have to be honest. Is there something that you've avoided doing in your faith because of fear of rejection? Fear of maybe the possible ramifications or consequences in relationships or in work? whatever it might be, as you have fear of ridicule. Again, the fact that those fears exist is nothing wrong with that. That's to be expected. That's normal. However, though the fear exists, we can't allow that to be what, based on what, that can't be what we base our decisions on how to live on. Yes, the fears will be there, but we have to be faithful to who God wants us to be. We have to be faithful to what he wants us to share. And so cooperating with him at times is going to be difficult. We see that in this story, but God lets us in on that reality throughout the New Testament. The story continues in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias the high priest and Sophist and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had seen set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what means did you do this? 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The religious, you heard it in there, religious, the religious leaders asked Peter and his friends, by what power or by what name did you do this? The, the, now, this, isn't, this is almost like a deja vu kind of a moment because they, these religious leaders asked Jesus the same question earlier. Before this, when Jesus was walking, he said, they said to him, by what, uh, in Luke 20, one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. Almost the exact same question in the exact same situations. It said, this is supernatural. They're acknowledging this is supernatural. How were you able to do this powerful act? They are acknowledging that these are not mere fishermen. <laughs> Who told you that you could do this? Where are you getting this power from? Where is the source of this? Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he tells them, by Jesus, this man is standing before you. By Jesus, this lame man is walking. It's because of him. The one who died and rose again, he is the reason why this man is healed. And he is the reason why I am here. He is the reason why any of this is possible. So Peter says there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And this points to the second thing about cooperating with God, is that it means we have to rely on Jesus, not ourselves. If we are going to be a people cooperating with God, we have to rely on him. In Luke 22, you know, first part of this story, we see Peter denying Jesus three times. He said he'd go to jail for Jesus, but then he cowered and clammed up for being associated with him. Now here he is in actual jail. But the difference here is that Paul, Peter is not focused on those who could harm him. Now he is focused on the one who saved him. He is not relying on himself. He's relying on Jesus. He is not fearful of what could happen to him. Now he is confident because of what has happened to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the exact, this is, there's nothing really new under the sun where people can, we can cower, we can be fearful, and we forget the fact that we're not alone. This happened to Moses in the Old Testament when God told him to go speak to Pharaoh. It says in Exodus 3, Moses says, I can't, basically Moses is saying, I can't talk good, I can't do this. But then what does God tell Moses? I will be with you. And in the same way we see 
Peter in confidence because he knows that God is with him and he relies on God. Cooperating with God means relying on him and not ourselves. As we go about our lives, we must rest in the power of God. He is with you as much as he was with Moses, as much as he was with Peter, as much as he was with Paul, and we can trust him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the providence of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Now, I know that you're not in the same situation that Paul is in, but just that phrase itself, crushed and overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. Have you ever been able to relate to that statement? Who can say that you've been in a situation or season in life where that, yep, that feels pretty accurate, crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure? Paul says, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on only God who raises the dead. You and I need to learn to rely on God, not ourselves, because he's the same God to us that Paul's writing about. Who are you relying on? Do you rely on yourself or on God? Are you relying on your own strength or his? Are your wisdom or his? Your plans or his calling for you? Paul will later say, The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. That is the Spirit that is with us. That is what we can rely on. He is giving us power. He is giving us love. He is giving us self-discipline. We have access to that all the time. And so we can't rely on our own power, our own hearts, and our own wisdom. We have to be with him and rely on him. And I'd encourage you within this to make a habit of taking three seconds and just pausing and connecting. If cooperating with God means relying on him, not ourselves, we need to get into a regular habit where we just stop. Okay, God. God, what are we doing? I'm trusting you. What do you want me to do here? What does your word say? We typically go so fact fast and we typically react to life not respond to life and those are two really different things reacting is just blah but responding can be thoughtful and strategic and we need to be responding in obedience and faithfulness to god in every moment of our lives and the only way we can do that is if we stop and ask what does responding look like And so just taking three seconds, the simple act of reminding ourselves of our identity in him, asking God for wisdom, being mindful of our hearts, simply letting the Spirit of God nudge us accordingly. That situation at home with your kids, that situation at work, about to start that project, interacting with your neighbor, whatever it is, just stopping and saying, God, I know you're here. I know I'm your child. And whatever it is that you're in the midst of, bringing that to him 
and asking him for peace or guidance, whatever it is that you need. Cooperating with God means relying on him, not ourselves. The story continues in verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they, the religious leaders were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so it tells us after this that these religious leaders powwowed together amongst themselves to figure out what to do. These guys don't have our training, and they're arguing better than us. These, the, they, the guy they healed is right there. We can't deny that, but we also can't let this keep going any longer. We got to get them to shut up, the religious leaders basically say. And so in verse 18 it says, So they called Peter and the rest together and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, well then you have to judge that. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I love Peter's response here. You religious leaders who know all this stuff, whether it's right for you to tell us not to, you and God need to figure out if we should stop talking about God. But all I'm telling you right now is that we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So like a young guy. just want to throw that out there. Peter tells us, you're going to have to figure out the rules for yourselves. But I can tell you this for sure. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. There is no way that I can shut up about this. There is no way that I can stop talking about this. A guy was dead, and now he's alive. He used me to heal someone. How can I keep that in? How can I not share about that? My life was going in one direction, but he gave me purpose and community and life. I cannot shut up about what I have seen and what I have heard in Jesus. And we see Peter's comments here, what we see throughout Scripture, that cooperating with God provides us with a generous boldness. Cooperating with God provides a generous boldness. The reality and truth of all Jesus had done with Peter gave him confidence, gave him strength, he is a guy who had been known for always sticking his foot in his mouth. He was a guy who, as we said, denied Jesus three times. But here he is, renewed, redeemed, filled with the Spirit, and boldly proclaiming, there is no way that I can shut up about the good news of Jesus. There is no way that I can't say what I have seen and heard in him. Paul echoes the same idea in Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. When we see this boldness in Peter, when we see this boldness, this I am not ashamed of Jesus in Paul in the early church, we have to ask ourselves, are we ashamed of the gospel? Or are we bold about it? 
Or would you consider your life and how you go about your day-to-day life one that shows boldness and confidence in Jesus? Or a timidity and shame, being ashamed of Jesus? And if we, if it's more on the feeling ashamed side, we just have to be honest and ask why. Why is that? We have to be honest. Are we ashamed because we are focusing on our fear more than faith? Are we focused too much on the waves which caused Peter to sink? Are we focused too much on the crowds and what might happen like Peter was when he denied Jesus three times? Or are we focused on the fact that we have a God who raises the dead with us? What is your focus on? Are you focused on the things you're fearful of? Or the reality who God is with you? Are you ashamed? And this is where, again, we have to be really, really honest here. Are you ashamed because you never have received the gospel truly? It's one thing to have an awareness and a mental understanding about things within Jesus. It's another thing to be familiar with him and this stuff. But that's not the same thing as a commitment of the heart, an alliance, allegiance of your heart, putting your faith in him. Because the reality is just having information about Jesus is just having information about anything. But God doesn't call us to be great at Bible trivia. God calls us in to be part of his kingdom. God wants us to give us a new identity. And if God has not given you that new identity, then maybe that's why there's a sense of being ashamed of it. Because you don't have it. And so you have to be honest. Is there a point in your life where you have put your faith in Jesus? Is there a time in your life when you realize the reality of who you are before him, your need for God, that he would heal your brokenness, that he would forgive your sin, that he would give you life, that anything that we find in this world does not compare to him and all that he offers for us? It's only in him that we get everything that our hearts are craving and longing for. If you have never put your faith in him, then maybe that's why you're ashamed of him. And so you have, let today be the day where he gives you that new life. Let today be the day where you begin life as it was meant to be. Put your faith in Jesus. But the, the th- third, why, again, being honest about we, why we might be ashamed Are we ashamed because we are simply avoiding being obedient? I know I need to do this, but I don't want to. I know God wants me to be this type of a person, but I don't want to. I know that this is an idol in my life. I'm putting more stock and commitment and passion into this than the reality of Jesus. I'm worshiping something other than him. Well, I don't want to stop. When we're in disobedience, when we're not doing the things we ought to be doing, then that might be a block in causing the shame, being ashamed of him. And so what do you need to ask forgiveness of, and what steps of obedience do you need to take? We Cooperating with God provides a generous boldness. We have to be bold for him. And I want to clarify what I, why I include this term, generous boldness generous as a descriptor of Peter's boldness. To be generous is to give, to be open-handed, the idea of giving of yourself. Peter's boldness shows us him giving of the joy and the truth and the life which he has received from Jesus. 
Peter's boldness is not an accusing boldness, where he just goes through everything that is wrong with his audience and then taxa, you need to ask forgiveness at the end. In our culture today, we see sin all around us. It is evident, evident and it is obvious. When we talk about Jesus, do we lead with all that is wrong in the world, being accusers, or do we lead with all that has been given to us, being generous? Or to put it simply like this, Peter says that he's not going to shut up. Well, what are you going to not shut up about? How wrong someone is or how forgiving and amazing God is? Because those are two different things. Sometimes I think that there are those in the church that spend all of their time talking to people about what they need to repent from, that they forget to elaborate on how amazing it is who they're repenting to. We need to talk about sin. We need to talk about repentance. I'm not saying not to talk about those things, but we need to do it in a manner that emulates the grace and love of God which he offers If all we do is tell people why they're wrong and never offer them why Jesus is right, then we're being selfish and it's about us. But God doesn't call people to be, to to lead people to make us more comfortable. He calls us to share the love of Jesus with them. We need to proclaim Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. We need to talk about how amazing Jesus is. We need to proclaim Jesus so much That when people compare him to their lives, there is an obvious choice to go, what am I doing? I want him. But that's typically not how we go about things. We need to be more generous with our proclamations of the love of Jesus and what he's about, what he calls us to, what he demands, the reality of all of that has to be proclaiming him. Do we have a boldness Jesus. The last part of the story that we're going to look at today is in 23. When they were released, Peter and his friends went to their other friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they they all lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They go back to their friends after their arrest, and the group's response is immediate. They begin praying, and their prayer is a time of acknowledging God Almighty. Remember what, remember what we said last week. We have to be about God Almighty. 
This is why we gather. This is what we're about. And that's what they were about. They were proclaiming God being in control, his power, his might, who has been, the fact that he has been involved in people always. He is the one who comes alongside, who no one can go against, who is working his plans and drawing people to him. This is God. This is who they're calling out to. He is worthy of their worship, worthy of allegiance, worthy of relying on him. And based on who God is, they pray this amazing prayer. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They really pray two things. Lord, help us to be obedient and bold to share the good news. And Lord, work supernaturally in people so that they can see and know who you are. Those are two pretty good things to pray, don't you think? Those are two things that our church should be praying. Lord, help New Life Lincoln Park. Help my church. Help me and my church be obedient and bold to share the good news. Lord, work supernaturally in people so that we can see and know who you are. This points to the last thing. Cooperating with God must be saturated with prayer. Not just once in a while, not just when it's hard, but as Paul says in one of his other letters, praying without ceasing, meaning that we have a mindfulness of talking to God, a disposition of reliance on him. And we need to be praying their prayer. Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What if this prayer was part of your morning routine? What if this was the thing that you prayed before you got going in the morning? Lord, help me to be obedient and bold to share and show your good news today. Lord, work supernaturally in people so that they can see and know who you are. What if this was the thing we prayed as a church? What if this was the thing we got up every morning and prayed together, knowing that others in the church were praying it, and then went about our day, with this in our minds and in our hearts, looking for the opportunities and relying on God to do what only he can do. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to do that. And so in that, I want to get us started. We're going to end today praying together. I can't tell you we should saturate cooperating with God in, in prayer and us not pray. <laughs> it just kind of seems like they don't, that doesn't work, right? It would be like we're going to have a chemistry class but never go into a lab. Well, that's just not, that doesn't work. We can't just talk about prayer. We have to be praying. And so in that, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. So I'm going to open this up for a couple minutes. We do have people at home. And so if we pray, just kind of our voices sitting in your seat, they can't hear you. And so I'm going to put my mask on and just walk the aisle, and if you'd like to pray out loud, I'll hand you the mic, just so people at home can hear what's being a part of what's going on, and after a couple minutes, I'll close this out, but I, I want us to pray. Can you put that verse back up, Ed? 
the Lord look upon their threats and grant. I just want us to be praying these things for our church. God, give us boldness to be obedient, boldness to share the reality of who you are. God, work supernaturally that we can know and see and experience you that others can. And we're just going to pray for a little bit, and then I'll close. And so I'll, I'll pray once, really here to get us started. And if you'd like to pray after that, just raise your hand and I'll bring you the mic. After it's quiet for a little bit, I'll close this again. So God, we do, we come before you as a church, gathered here in, in the building, gathered on screens at home, crying out to you, wanting to be aware of your presence, wanting to be part of what you're doing. God, I pray that you would give us boldness even in this moment to cry out to you. If we can't pray together, how can we talk about you later on? And so I pray you be with our church and hear our voices in this moment. If you'd like to pray, just raise your hand and I'll bring you the mic. God, we just come before you humbly, and we praise your holy, holy name. And Lord, we just ask for a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon our church, that we would move forward with your hands and feet, with a mighty voice raised, um, telling the truth of your love and your grace and your mercy. Father, give us this boldness as we interact with people that, you know, think differently and act differently and view things, the world differently than we do. It is so easy for us to hold out our hands in a fist. Lord, we, give, we ask you for the, the grace and the, and the strength to open our hand and, and welcome those people in and to open our hearts. And uh, Lord, we pray for just our hearts, open our hearts to heal, open our hands to bring in people and to hear different perspectives and, and to love everyone uh, as you loved us and forgive everyone as you forgive us and forgive us for the times where we fail and fall short of your, your expectations for us. 
Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the blessing that it is to be here together. In your name we pray, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for bringing us here today and helping us to find our home in you. I pray that you will lead us everywhere that you need us to be and help us to be selfless, to not think of ourselves or what we want for ourselves, but to think of what you want and where you want us to be and who you want us to lead and to lead the lives that you have created us for. Again, thank you for bringing everybody here today to listen to your message because you have a purpose in every single thing that you do and help us to see that, to feel you around us because you are always here. Help us to look for you and to pause and to thank you. Thank you, God. We love you. It is in your name I pray. Amen. Anyone else? God, I pray that our connection with you, our relationship with you, our, what we think of as faith isn't just one hour on Sunday. I pray, God, that it wouldn't just be us individuals. I pray that you would shatter our individualistic idea of faith. I pray you would give us the energy and the whereabout and the care to want to know these people, to want to be one with these people. God, to, to care about those in this city and want them to know you. God, I pray you would help us to be a people that proclaims you. Whether we're talking about you or just going about our day or day, let our lives proclaim you. We ask all of this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with us? We want to be a church that's cooperating with God. It's not easy. We have to rely on him. We have to be bold. It has to be saturated with prayer. So we think about the reality of who we are as this family of love. It can't be about us. You know, last week, if you weren't with us, I... I don't know if I did it in both services, but I think after one service, just praying, you know what, God, if, if we're not doing this right, if we're not here for the wrong reasons, just shut it down. I mean, because this isn't meant to, this isn't supposed to be a social club. It's not just meant to be something we just kind of do and come and get a little bit of warm, fuzzy and encouragement to help us in the middle of a difficult week, even though none of that's bad. It's about God. It's about knowing him and growing in him together and show it, sharing him. We have to cooperate with him because that's what having faith means. And so let's, let's let our time together be practiced for how we are the rest of the week. Let our worship now be practiced for how we are the rest of the week. 
that we would be trusting our God and who he is. So let's worship him together. And just a reminder that as we're singing, we want to keep our masks up too. In Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, we, uh, if you have a Bible or you want to click to there, um, if not, this, don't worry about that. The passages will be up on the screen as well. Last week, we started a new teaching series called Rally. The idea of this is taking the time to come together, to regroup, to get the family back together again, if you will. Um, that's really what this whole month and even this season is going to be about, is re- rallying together to recommit to who we are in Jesus, reconnect with one another as a church, and refocus on Jesus' call for us. And in this, we're reminding ourselves of New Life's purpose statement. When we think about what God calls believers to be, how he wants us to act, how he wants his church to represent him, um, we think, well, what does that look like for us as a church? How do we do that? And so New Life has this purpose statement. It's to be a family of love who cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. To be a family of love, cooperating with God, and making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Jesus. And so we talked about what it means to be a family of love last week. We're going through this uh, phrase one week, at a time, uh, one week at a time, one phrase every week, and really grounding our thoughts in the book of Acts to help us rally together. Looking at a family of love last week, we said that the church is a group of people passionately devoted to thriving relationships with God and his people, which in turn will impact their community. A group devoted, worshipful, generous, intentional, and sharing. And what's awesome is when you look at Acts 2, the passage we were in last week, and the kind of the larger story of it, there was 18 different people groups that came together that day when Peter preached this amazing sermon. 18 different people with different cultural practices, different political leaders, different values, but they gathered as a church. And those differences weren't disregarded, But Jesus and his kingdom became the priority. And I think it's important to be reminded of that and even pointed out again is because it kills the idea of worshiping with people who are exactly like us. That's just not how it works. We will be with people who, are, who maybe think differently than us, vote differently than us, make different amounts of money as us, look different than us. And that's okay because it's not about those things To be a family of love, Jesus is our priority. He is our identity. He is what we gather for and around. And so we are a family of love. We're going to take that and we're going to focus and kind of flow with it into Acts 4 to look at this idea of cooperating with God. What does it look like to cooperate with God? Now here's the one thing that we have to make sure we realize about the book of Acts because it's a unique book in the New Testament. The book of Acts is a historical narrative, a theological story that's communicating history. And the guy that was inspired to write this, Luke, he tells this guy, Theophilus, that he's writing to at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he says he's writing these stories so that Theophilus can have certainty about what he's been taught. Certainty, confidence, surety, about the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to be one of his followers. 
And so we want to ask ourselves as we look at the different stories, not how do I do exactly what the character does or something like that, because that's not always what the story, the stories aren't dictating like that. They're revealing the reality of who God is and his character, his heart, what he wants for his followers, for the church, what it is we can have certainty of. So what patterns do we see in these stories and how that connects to the rest of scripture? Basically using Luke's own words, when we think about cooperating with God, how does chapter 4 of Acts tell us what we can be certain of? If you're going to be cooperating with God, you can be certain of these realities. And so that's what we want to look at. Before we do, though, let's pray together and ask God to speak to our hearts. So God, we do come before you, and again, just grateful for your presence, grateful the fact that you are here. God, I pray that you would make us aware of your presence, that that wouldn't just be lyrics to a song, but our heart's desire, our heart's cry. God, we want to know you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would work in our lives right now. God, I pray that you would be the one speaking, encouraging, convicting, whatever we need to hear. God, that you would show us what it means to be part of what you're doing. God, I thank you for our church community. I thank you for how you've been encouraging us and forming and fashioning us more into your image. And I pray that you would help us to do that to surrender to you, God, to surrender who we are, our own ideas, agendas, feelings, whatever those things are, and we would be more and more like you. So help us within that this morning. Speak to our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. And so my my plan for today is I just want to walk through this story that we see in Acts 4. It's not the whole thing, but like the first couple, uh, first chunk of it. And I want to just walk through the story and make some observations, asking how they help us know with certainty what cooperating with God looks like. And so we're going to start with the first paragraph. And so it says this, As they were speaking to the people, the they is Peter and uh, John and some of the original uh, apostles, early church apostles, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so these church leaders arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. It says there right at the beginning, as they were speaking. Now again, back up a little bit. Acts 2, we have Pentecost. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon people and Peter preaches this amazing sermon that a couple thousand come to know the Lord and the church begins. In Acts 3, right before this, he heals this lame guy, wasn't able to walk and now is able to walk and preaches again about Jesus. The good news is going forth and people are coming to know the Lord. The good news about Jesus, though, it goes against the religious systems of the day. And so these religious leaders, those who were teaching a different way to connect with God, these were promoting a different way to be in relationship with him, they were getting annoyed, the passage tells us, about Peter and the apostles. I really like that terminology here. They were annoyed by Peter and what they were saying. Super frustrated. One source I read described it as, defined the word as, they were greatly irked at Peter and what they were saying. So their activity, them talking about Jesus, was irking these religious leaders because it went against what they thought. And so in that, they had them arrested and thrown in jail. I mean, think about the reality of 5,000 men, it says, came 
to accept Jesus and the good news of him. It doesn't even, even tell us how many women and men. And there have already been a couple, uh, scores of people in Acts 2 that it came. We don't know exactly how many people were in Jerusalem at that time. Archaeologists and scholars kind of at the low end, maybe 25,000. At the high end, maybe 75,000. And here we have 7,000 men, then add on women and children, who were saying, you know what, we are going to trust in Jesus. That is a huge chunk of the city. Can you imagine 10% of Chicago trusting Jesus as Lord? That's what, how that would change the city and change everything about it. That's what was happening. And these religious leaders were getting irked because it goes against their ideas. And they were so annoyed, so frustrated, so not wanting this to happen that they threw him in jail because of it. The first part of this story reminds us of one sobering but important truth. Cooperating with God is not an easy endeavor. Cooperating with God is not an easy endeavor. If you ever are around church people enough, at some point you'll hear somebody talk about wanting to get back to Acts, wanting to get back to how it is in the book of Acts, wanting to get back to what's happening with the early church. But I think whenever anybody says they want to get back to Acts, they usually forget the thrown in jail parts. They forget the parts about the persecution. They forget the parts about all the hard stuff that happens. They want all the good and they're not really processing the ramifications that could come because of that. In fact, Paul, another one of the early church leaders, he writes in one of his letters in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 11, he lists out the different things that he experienced as he went about sharing the good news. He talks about the fact that he was beaten, whipped, stoned, shipwrecked, robbed. He faced the dangers of cities, the dangers of deserts, the dangers of false teachers, along with just the difficulties that come from hard work and extreme weather and not having enough. Being faithful to Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus, there is just no beating around the bush with this. Scripture makes it plain. It will not be easy at times. Jesus could not have said it any clearer. I mean, he sets us up for the reality of this. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus is talking just about life in general, that it's going to have trials and sorrows. Then you add on proclaiming him, and that's just going to supersize the reality of them. When we think about being faithful to Jesus as a church, as a faith family, a family of love, we have to know that our cooperating with God will at times greatly irk some people. People may not want to hear about Jesus. They may not want to experience the love of God. They may not want anything to do with us because we want everything to do with Jesus but we must still be faithful. Just because it's hard doesn't give us a pass. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean we ignore who we're supposed to be in Jesus. Now, I need to clarify though on that reality. Me being faithful to who Jesus is and proclaiming him, if that gets me rejected because of it, that is what's to be expected. Me being rude to people, a jerk, taking my personal agenda and adding some Jesus talk on it and then being rejected, 
I'm bringing that on myself, that's not being persecuted. Some of the things we see in our world, Christians make the situation a whole lot more difficult than it needs to be. And so we need to be honest. Are we truly being faithful to the reality of who Jesus is and who he wants us to be, even if it's really hard? Is there something that you've avoided doing in your faith because of fear of rejection? Is there something that you've avoided because of the fear of the possible consequences? Fear of ridicule. We need to expect, and dare I say even welcome, the difficulties of being faithful to Jesus. Cooperating with God is not an easy endeavor. The story continues in verse 5. It says, On the next day their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Ananias the high priest, and Sapphias, then John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The religious leaders ask Peter and his friends, by what power are you doing this? By what name did you do this? Now this might, if you've read Luke and Acts or you ever read Luke and Acts, you're going to see that this might seem like a little of a deja vu moment because this isn't the first time religious leaders have asked somebody this very question. In Luke chapter 20 they asked jesus this it says one day as jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up to him and said tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority it's the exact same thing and so here we have peter facing the reality of it this is a supernatural thing how were you able to do this this was a supernatural act. How could you do this? You are fishermen. Who told you you could do this? By whose power are you doing this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells them, this man that you see healed before you is standing here because of Jesus, the one who died and rose again. He is the reason why I am here. Jesus is the reason why this is possible. And not only is this possible, but there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this points to the second thing about cooperating with God. Cooperating with God means relying on him, not ourselves. Peter doesn't stand before, their, before them and claim anything about himself. He points it all and pushes it all back to Jesus. And now, this is a transformational moment in Peter. We see the transformation in Peter here. In Luke 22, we see Peter denying Jesus three times. 
Before that happened, he said he would go to jail for Jesus. But then when the difficulty came and push came to shove, he cowered and clammed up by being associated with Jesus. He didn't go to jail for Jesus. He ran, in essence. But here he is in actual jail. And there's a difference in him. He is not cowering. He is not wimping out. He is being confident and bold here. Peter is not focused on those who could harm him. Now he is focused on the one who saved him. Peter is not fearful of what could happen to him. Now he is confident because of what has happened to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is nothing new under the sun where people are called to represent God and proclaim him and we can get fearful, we can get what's going to happen and God says, I am with you. It happened in the Old Testament with Moses. Moses is basically saying, I can't talk really good. How am I supposed to go to Pharaoh? And God tells him in Exodus 3, I will be with you. Peter knows God is with me. And as we go about our lives, we must rest in the power of God. He is with us too. Listen to what Paul says in one of his letters in 2 Corinthians. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Now, I know that none of us were with Paul in Asia when this happened. But when you hear his description, crushed and overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. Have you ever been in a season that you can relate to that description? Like, I don't know what you were going through, Paul, but I know I've been through my season of feeling crushed and overwhelmed beyond my ability to endure. Who's had a season like that? Anyone? For those of you, your hand's not up, you're probably just too tired from it to put your hand up because we all have had that, right? And so what does he say? I was, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. I thought this was it. I thought it was over. I even thought, I'm done. But then he says, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. We learn to not rely on ourselves and learn to rely only on God. Who are you relying on as you go through life? The situations that you're experiencing, what you're up against, the opportunities that you have to cooperate with God, who do you rely on? Are you relying on yourself or on God? Are you relying on your own strength or his? On your wisdom or his? Your own plans or his calling for you? Who are you relying on? Remember, God is with us. Paul says in another one of his letters, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. This is the God who's with you. This is the Spirit empowering you. If we only rely on our own selves, we do not have that power. We will be selfish rather than loving. And we will not be self-disciplined. We'll be just trying to gain what we can. God is with you. We have to rely on him. So what I'd encourage you about this is to make a habit of just taking three seconds to pause and focus. 
taking three seconds to pause and connect with the Lord. We go so fast through life, we get so distracted with everything from the thing right before us, our phones, our kids, our jobs, whatever it is, we react to life, we don't respond to life. And so in that, just taking three seconds to, okay, God, I need wisdom right now. How should I go about this? What's the response? This is hard, but I'm grateful for who you are. Just to take three seconds to remind yourself of your identity in him. Take three seconds to ask God for wisdom. Take three seconds to be mindful of your heart. Which direction is your spirit-led conscience leading you? Take three seconds to let the Spirit of God nudge you accordingly. We can only rely on God's strength if we're intentionally relying on God's strength. And to intentionally rely on God's strength, you have to stop for a second and make that happen. Cooperating with God means relying on him, not ourselves. Verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the religious leaders are seeing how Peter and the rest are talking, what they're saying, how, who they were and what's before them now. And so these religious leaders powwow amongst themselves to figure out how to handle these guys. I mean, they can kind of picture them talking and figuring this out. Okay, these guys do not have the training that we do, but they are arguing better than us. The guy that they healed is right there, so we can't deny that. But we also can't let this go on any longer. We have got to get these guys to shut up. And so it says in verse 18, So they called the, Peter and the rest of them together and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, All right, well, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you have to figure that out. For we cannot bespeak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what that happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. It's like a really young guy. just want to throw that out, the 40 age thing. Paul tells them, you, all, you know, if I should listen to you or to God, you're going to have to figure that out. But I can tell you this for sure. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. If you've seen the things I've seen and heard the things I've heard, you would not shut up either. There was a guy who was dead and now he's alive. A guy who used me to heal someone. I'm not keeping that quiet. My life was going in one direction, but he gave me purpose and community and life. I cannot but talk about what I've seen and what I've heard from Jesus. I cannot but share what I've experienced in Jesus. When we see Peter's words here, it points to the third thing about cooperating with God. Cooperating with God provides a generous boldness. Peter and John were bold in their words. The truth and the reality of all Jesus had done gave Peter confidence, strength to talk in this way. 
I mean, here is a guy known for sticking his foot in his mouth, saying the dumb thing, getting ahead of himself. A guy who, as we said, denied Jesus three times. But here he is renewed, redeemed, filled with the Spirit, and boldly proclaiming, there is no way I can shut up about the good news of Jesus. There is no way I can stop sharing all that I've seen and all that he's done for me. Paul echoes the same thing in Romans. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And so we have to ask ourselves, we have to be really honest about this. Are you ashamed of the gospel of Jesus or are you bold about it? Are you ashamed about the good news about Jesus, proclaiming it, not, can't shut up? Or are we ashamed of it? We have to be honest. We have, and if we're ashamed, we have to be honest about why. And that's difficult, it's hard, but we have to be honest. Why are we ashamed? Maybe the reason why we're ashamed, are we ashamed because we're focusing on our fear instead of faith? My eyes are on what could happen. I'm fearful of how somebody might respond to me or what are the ramifications of this or I don't know how they're going to think of me or are we focused on this is the good news of Jesus and he is with me and I have to proclaim him. What are you focused on? Are we ashamed because we are simply avoiding being obedient? I know God wants me to do this. I know God wants me to be about this. I know God wants me to be like this. I know God wants me to share these things. I know God fill in the blank, but I don't want to do that. And so I'm avoiding being obedient. I'm avoiding being faithful. I'm making excuses rather than being faithful to who God wants me to be. Is it not really being ashamed? Is it just straight up disobedience? And the last one, this is a little bit maybe harder to think through, but it has to be asked. Are you ashamed of Jesus because you simply have never received the life that he has for you? Has he truly not given you a new life? Just being part of a church, just being in community, just being familiar with these things, just having head knowledge isn't what gives us a relationship with God isn't what makes us part of his kingdom. God doesn't want us to be great at Bible trivia. God wants us to be part of who he is and what he's doing. God wants you to acknowledge your need for him, the deep need you have for him, and put your faith in him. Give the allegiance of your life to him and let your identity be in him. And if that's never happened, then of course you have nothing to talk about. And so maybe it isn't necessarily ashamed of the gospel. Maybe it's no connection with the gospel. And in that, you haven't experienced the life Jesus has for you. And so that's the thing I want you to think about today. Do you need Jesus? Do you need to receive the life he has rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, the life that he did that to provide for you? inviting you into that resurrected life. Have you received that? Because if not, that's what you need and that's what your heart is longing for. And your heart is going to continue to be restless and longing until you give it to him.
If you've never done that, if you have questions about that, that's what we want to be all about. And if we can help you process that, you don't, not that you have to come to me, not that you have to come to anybody. You can do that alone with God. But if you have questions, we would love to help you with that because making the decision to put your faith in Jesus and begin that life with him is the most important thing you'll do in your life. Don't, you, God wants you to give you, God wants to give you a life that is so amazing you won't be able to shut up about it. Have you received Jesus? I want to clarify, though, why I include the word generous as a descriptor of boldness. To be generous is to give, to be open-handed. And the idea of giving of yourself what you have and what you've received. Peter's boldness shows us him giving of the joy and the truth and the life which he has received from Jesus. Peter's boldness is not an accusing boldness where he just goes through everything wrong in his audience and then tacks on and asks forgiveness at the end. In our culture today, we see sin all around us. It is evident and it is obvious. When we talk about Jesus, do we lead with what is all that is wrong in the world, being accusers, or do we lead with all that has been given to us, being generous. Or to put it simply like this, Peter says that he's not going to shut up. Well, what are you not going to shut up about? How wrong someone is or how amazing Jesus is? Sometimes I think that there are those in the church that spend all of their time talking to people about what they need to repent from, that they forget to elaborate on how amazing it is who they are repenting to. I am not saying we don't need to talk about sin. We do. I'm not saying we don't talk about repentance. We do. But we need to do it in a manner that emulates the grace and love which God offers us. Because you can tell somebody how wrong they are, walk away, and them not know the truth of all that God has done. And what we need to be doing is like Peter, like Paul, proclaiming Jesus so much I cannot shut up about what he's done. I cannot shut up about what I've seen. I cannot shut up about what I've heard. I cannot shut up about how he's changed my life. I cannot shut up about how I've seen him change others' life. Where we talk about Jesus and proclaim him so much that when those who don't have him see what we're proclaiming and see what they're after, it's like, well, this doesn't even compare. That's what I know I need. Does that make sense? We need to be generous, meaning it has to be about Jesus. It has to be about proclaiming him. Our job is to offer and drive people and proclaim Jesus, not just, make the, not just try to get them to be someone we're comfortable around. They're not trying to get people to be in our image. We're trying to get people to be in the image of Jesus. And that happens when we proclaim him. Do you have a boldness for Jesus? Do you have a boldness that's generous, proclaiming all that Jesus has given you? Cooperating with God provides that generous boldness. The last part that we want to look at today is in 20, starts in 23. When Peter and John and the rest were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. 
And when everyone heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by his spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy, spirit, holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Lord, we know that there are people who are going to be against what you're doing and trying to do. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They get back to their friends after this arrest and everything that happened and the group's immediate response is just to pray and praise God and thank him for what he's doing their prayer is a time of acknowledging God almighty remember what we said last week it has to be about God we're here because of God everything we're doing is because of God almighty and they are here proclaiming that God is in control, proclaiming his power and might, proclaiming how he is involved with his people always, proclaiming that he is the one who comes along beside, the one that no one can go against, who is working his plans and drawing people to him. He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of our allegiance. We can rely on him. And based on who gives, God is, they pray this amazing prayer. Lord, look upon your threats, uh, excuse me, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, help us to be obedient and bold to share the good news is their first request. Lord, work supernaturally in people so they can see and know who you are is their second and this just points to the last thing we need to see today. Cooperating with God must be saturated with prayer. Not just a once in a while thing, not just when it's a hard thing, but as Paul says in one of his letters, praying without ceasing, having a mindfulness of talking to God always, a disposition of reliance to him, regardless of what's happening. And we need to be praying their same prayer. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I mean, you see this prayer up here. What if this was part of our morning routine? What if this is how we as a church began our day? Where you got up in the morning and after, you know, whether it's before you get ready or after you get ready or before you go to work, before you go to school, before you do whatever, one of the first things you do, God, look upon the threats of this world and grant to me to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant. God, help me and our church be obedient and bold to share your good news.
Lord, work supernaturally in people, in my classes, in my workplace, in my family, with my neighbors, so that people can see and know who you are. We need to be praying this prayer. Now, I say that, and it's one thing for me to say it, it's another thing to actually do it. And I don't feel like I can be telling you to do this unless we actually do it. And so that's how I want to close the message today with us praying this prayer. God, help us to be obedient and bold to share the good news. Lord, work supernaturally in people that we and they can see and know who you are. And so we're going to pray together right now. An open time of prayer for us as a church family. And so what's going to happen, I'm going to start us off. I'll just open us up in prayer. And anyone that would like to pray, I'm going to bring the mic around, which I'm realizing, oh, is it bring? I'll bring the mic to you. I'll wipe it off between people. But with this passage focusing us in this time, praying for our church, God, help us be obedient and bold to share your good news in word and action. Lord, work supernaturally that people can see and know who you are. We have to be praying this. And so let's start praying this. And so I, I challenge you, if we can't boldly pray together, how are we going to be bold away from one another in the middle of our weeks? And so be willing to pray now during this time. So again, I'll start us off. And if you'd like to pray, just raise your hand. Um, the reason why we're using the mic is that we have people at home. And if you don't use the mic, they can't hear what you're praying. And we want to make sure that they're connected with this and everything. And so like I said, I'll wipe off the mic in between people. And so let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much for the fact you want us to be part of what you're doing. God, we thank you for the fact that you are here. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts. The things that we've already heard, God, I pray that you would not allow us to ignore those things. Keep shoving them back in our minds, pushing them back in our hearts, that we can't ignore what you want us to hear, that we can't ignore the things you're trying to get us to see. God, I pray you, pray you be with this time now, that we would call out to you and pray as a church. So whoever would like to pray, if you just raise your hand, I'll bring the mic over to you. thank you for this time that you brought us together. We thank you that you gave this topic of rallying together to our pastor's heart, Lord. I just pray for all of us that even if, no matter where we are in our walk today, God, that we would know that we have talents, that we have gifts, and we have the ability to give back, Lord. And I pray for those who don't really know or aren't sure where they can be used in this church, God that they would rise up, that they would stand up in boldness and courage and be able to fill the gaps that we need here, Lord. Whether it's children's ministry, whether it's um, greeting people when they come in, whether it's audio or whether it's worship, or maybe you're calling people to come together to start prayer in this church or to become a leader in a small group, God, whatever it is that you're calling for us, Lord, I pray that we would just be able to step out in obedience and be bold for
for what you want us to do, God. How we can all be used for your glory, Lord. Take any fear away. Take any anxiety away. Take any doubts, Lord. And just fill us with your presence, with your understanding, and just with your peace, Lord. Because when we walk in your steps, it's the right way, God. And there's no way that we can fall with you behind us, Lord. So be with us in this time. Help us step up and rise up to what you're calling us to do, Lord. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. God, um, give this church the courage um, just to be bold this week, um, wherever they are, whether in work, home, family. Um, you know each of us um, to our core. And God, um, you give us the strength and you provide all we need to serve you. Um, and I pray that we won't be distracted by anything this week, God, but we can have um, a perspective that's so focused on you, so focused on um, spreading your news. Um, that we can just boldly, boldly speak. Um, we just thank you for this time, and we thank you um, that we can freely um, speak about you. And I pray that we'll never, um, never grow tired of hearing your word. just thank you for the reminder um, from the book of Acts of how you move so powerfully, Lord, and um, you use just um, fishermen, just simple individuals, Lord, but uh, they were together, Lord, your spirit was with them, and you did um, amazing things, Lord, and you're continuing to do that uh, today throughout the world with your church, Lord, and we pray that, um, yeah, that, that our church, Lord, that this would just, um, we would return to being a part um, of bringing new people to know you, Lord. Um, Lord, I think sometimes just uh, the fear of the world, what people think about us, uh, can sneak into our hearts, Lord, and it can give us anxiety, and it can give us uh, a little bit of a uh, disillusionment about um, do we really need to share, Lord? Um, Father, I pray that you would restore in us just a fear of, of you, Lord, and in that, um, that the world's, that what they think wouldn't compare, Lord, to, uh, to what you think of us, Lord. So we pray, Father, that, um, that we would continue to be bold, that we would return to boldness, Lord, and that we would experience uh, you uh, working in our lives, Lord, and that you would bring many to faith um, through our sharing, Lord. We pray that your spirit would be active. Pray this in your son's name. Lord, we thank you for this message and for your joy of giving us strength every day to step up and be your feet and be your hands and be your strength. So I pray that our church, I pray that um, our colleagues, I pray that the people in our lives would see a change in us where we hold back on criticizing and we step up to offer grace, to offer kindness, to offer to step in the gap for 
moments when we can give of ourselves, we can give financially, we can give a kind word. And we wouldn't criticize people who are having such a hard time paying their bills or moving out of neighborhoods that are filled with violence. That we would step up as a church, we would step up as individuals and fill those holes. Mentor, bake dinners, have prayers in neighborhoods that are not Lincoln Park. Have times of um, just after school programs and kids in these neighborhoods that we value because they're our kids. Have time with one another at work to say, you know, if you're a believer and I'm a believer and we're frustrated, let's stop and pray for five minutes. Or give us the boldness to be who you say we are to be who we see we can be in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, give us Give us the serenity to accept everything that we cannot change, the courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Lord, when you give us the opportunities, will you help us have the boldness to take them? Help us in both word and deed to just Proclaim the gospel and show the world your love. Father, I I thank you for your goodness, Lord. Your goodness that is um, present at all times, that never changes and never fails. Father, I, I pray that as a church body that you would grant us um, just the eyes to see your goodness, Lord, and to, to know in our, not only in our head, but just in our heart, to know in our gut how, how good you are. Father, I, I pray that that would be um, what spurs us on towards boldness, towards proclaiming you boldly, God, with just this, this knowing in our being that you are, you are good, um, Father. And I, I pray that as we um, just start to live and move in this boldness, that we would be able to witness firsthand your healing, God. Um, healing physically, healing spiritually, emotionally, God, I pray that, um, yeah, that we would just, you would grant us the opportunity to, to witness your healing in our church body and beyond, and, um, yeah, that we would also be able to just partner alongside you in this healing, Lord. Um, I, I pray that you would use us as people to, um, just to spread your healing and your light and your love and your goodness, God. Um, 
praise you and I thank you for all that you do and all that you are. God, I pray that you would hear our prayers. God, I pray that you would give us a confidence and assurance of the truth of who you are, what you've told us in your word as far as who you are. God, I pray when our feelings push against that or don't agree with that, I pray, God, that you would allow truth to encourage us. God, I pray that you would let us see the opportunities before us the opportunity to serve someone, to do an act of kindness, to, sh- to share with a need, to talk about who you are, your love for people, the forgiveness that you offer, the, the, the wholeness that you give. God, help us to not shut up about who you are. And God, the only way that can happen is if we, we know the reality of who you are. So make yourself real to us, God. Forgive us for the idols that we put in the way. Forgive us for the things that we focus on and hold on to rather than just being enamored with you. God, help us to be beacons of your grace. Your representatives, God. We're just grateful, again, for what you're doing in this place. I pray that this would not just be a moment, but it would take us into the rest of this week and the weeks ahead that we boldly proclaim who you are. God, help us to irk some people in a good way because we're not shutting up about who you are, that we don't just stop showing generosity. We just praise you for the fact that you allow us to be your children. It's in your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with us as we think about just cooperating with God about this isn't easy, that we have to rely on him the boldness that we're praying for, praying for this.